world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Steven's headphones remind me of my high school. It has a pretty high dropout rate. <laughs> Steven's, Steven, although I should tell you, Steven's headphones offered me drugs underneath the bleachers. Oh man, Steven's headphones are so cool. Steven's, Steven's headphones can do kickflips on their skateboard. Steven's headphones are teaching the foreign exchange students to cuss. <laughs> Steven's uh, headphones Steve uncle. No, students. Steven's headphones uncle works at Nintendo Stop. and told us all about the new Mario game. <laughs> no, really, they really did. He really does work there. He really does. He just keeps forgetting his badge at home. <laughs> And he's always out of town on business because, you know, Nintendo is far away. Can we uh, start this podcast? This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. And uh, by Steven's we're here to start the coolest. talk about some comics. <sighs> or we could just talk about my headphones for another hour. That's an option. Oh. <laughs> oh, what, now that I'm inviting it, all the funny is dried up? Is that what it is? No, no, you were cutting out really hard. All I heard You was were cutting out really hard. And I, <laughs> I was I trying to let you get your joke in. Yeah. <laughs> you, if, if it goes silent, do you just want me to just do like a laugh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Cool. So, I, I see you had cut out. Every there, time. So I just laughed. Everyone, everyone turned into homework. They crumbled it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So we've got a couple of stories to read tonight. Where do we want to start? Yeah, Vampire State University. Yeah, I'm fine with starting with Dracula. Okay, Captain Britain and MI-13, the story arc is called Vampire State. John? So, um, I want to point something out. I am not... I enjoyed this story. I'm going to tell you up front. I liked it. I am not um, accusing anyone of anything. Certainly not writer Paul Cornell or penciler Leonard Kirk or um, Stuart Eminent, or anyone else involved in this. There was a, a big team of colorists and inkers and whatnot. I will just point out, this comic came out in uh, 2009, and the opening, kind of cold open of it, is a um, meeting, a little tete-a-tete, a little uh, negotiation between Doctor Doom and Dracula, King of the Vampires. That's right, Dracula. And it takes place on the moon. Dracula kicks out the uh, footprint of uh, Neil Armstrong, I'm sure, right by the lunar rover, the lunar lander, rather, um, and, uh, you know, desecrates this spot on the moon. They're meeting on the moon. Dracula on the moon. That is a thing. He has a moon base. He attacks the Earth from the moon. It's fantastic. April 16, 2008... I will direct your attention to the link that I dropped into our chat, where it is mentioned in Dr. McNinja, page 16 of the Punch Dracula storyline that Dracula has a moon base. A little suspicious that all of a sudden Dracula is operating from the moon in multiple comics. Uh, Dr. McNinja got there first. Just uh, pointing out coincidences. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but uh, here we are. John, you uh, That's have never a good start to a sentence. <laughs> you have the cadence of a conspiracy theorist. Because <laughs> <laughs> parody only works when it's really close. So, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but did you hear about what's going on in the restaurant of that, or in the basement of that pizza restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bite of '87 was really serious. You had me, that then you a, lost me. What are you guys talking yeah. about? I missed that reference. Stephen made a reference to Pizzagate. I made a reference to Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, Captain Britain and MI-13. (laughs) This is going to be one of those episodes, huh? (laughs) I really liked this one. This is great art. Um, Basically, uh, this is the, um, this this series. Uh, It's only 15 issues. But uh, Captain Britain 
and uh, MI-13 come together to fight off the scrolls. That's the storyline that happens immediately before this. That was the big event. And then coming off of that, fight Dracula. Dracula has a design to take over Britain. And uh, he does it uh, making racist remarks about uh, the Muslim population. That's not good. But uh, if Case thought maybe, you know, Dracula wasn't a bad guy, now it is very clear. Lines in the sand, uh, Dracula is a total bad guy. His vampirism and uh, murder and whatnot weren't enough for him. So, the team um, is a bunch of people that I don't know. I don't know if you guys are familiar with MI-13 and Captain Britain. Um... Uh, but Captain Britain and Blade, um, Faiza Hussein, who is, uh, becomes Excalibur during this half of the run, as she is the wielder of Excalibur, uh, Spitfire, a mutant and, uh, spy, Peter, uh, Pete Wisdom, um, Dane, uh, Whitman, is that his last name, the Black Knight? Um, yeah, I think so. Not Jon Snow, but yes. Yes. Kit, Kit Harrington. Anyway, Kit Harrington, um, he uh, is in this, and all of them are protecting Britain. They are the, the British superheroes, and they're great. And uh, they're, you know, having a good time, and um, all of a sudden, uh, there are dang vampires about. Uh, but don't worry, Blade is on the case. Um, I wanted to point out something that Blade says early on that was very much a... Well, let me summarize this story first. Um, we... Uh, Dracula wants Britain. He sends some advanced vampires who sneakily get their way in to um, uh, Faiza's parents' home and uh, turn her dad into a vampire um, and tell a bunch of people they uh, are targeting her because of her feeling Excalibur and the uh, vampires are afraid of it. They kidnap Spitfire, who is a vampire, but has been a good guy this whole time. And, um, Blade, even though he, she passes the blade test, so that's good. And they're kind of becoming a thing. Everybody's just like coupled up with this. Um, and, uh, Dracula wants to invade, so he has, uh, it's kind of played out like a game of chess between the team and Dracula. And he's, you know, lived for hundreds of years, and he's a master strategist, he's a general, he's, you know, knows all this stuff, he's fought in all these wars, and he's lived through all of them and survived it. So, they, um, initially, he uh, sends in these vampires, and uh, Spitfire's trying to fight him, but still has to kill someone in front of him, and you know, show that she's under his control. Um, when, surprise, um, all of this, I'm like poorly telling this out of order, some of it, we see the conquest of Britain, where um, there is a skull of a former vampire hunter who gave his soul to protect Britain in such a way that vampires can only come if they are invited, similar to the vampire rules of entering the home. I like, I forget if it was a podcast I was listening to, what it was, but someone was talking about, you know, vampires being monsters with rules and how there are some, you know, rules about zombies, rules about mummies, that kind of thing. It's, it's interesting that, okay, hate garlic, hate, uh, Christian symbols, particularly the cross and holy water and they uh, can't enter unless they're invited. There's also a lesser-known one where they have some kind of obsessive-compulsive where, like, if you were to throw a bunch of grains of rice on the floor, you'd have to count them. I don't know. It's brought up in the uh, that, I think. The first I think that's... We looked it up. I think that's an Asian vampire thing. Oh, it's not Anne Rice? Is that where... Now I'm thinking of Rice and Anne Rice. Anyway. Nope. Okay. Okay. Have we talked hey, about hey, vampires hey, on this podcast Yes, before? we have. <laughs> Actually, I, like I don't Dracula, know if it's... I don't There's know. something about salt and whatever. Salt in a circle no. keeps out witches and ghosts. Yeah, yeah, I don't like know if we talked about salt and vampire it and on, they have to count it. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about it on the mic, but we have talked about it. Uh, well, previously in their adventures, the uh, team MI-13 and Captain Britain have met Plotka, um, who is a plot device, apparently. Um, some kind of interdimensional demon or something. He is able to trick... He hasn't had to take precautionary uh, measures to keep the invasion going, and realizes this too late in his uh, spaceship, and all of his vampires are uh, uh, repelled from Britain because they weren't invited. Because when he entered his room, and they kept him in his room, he uh, was entered a, a separate little uh, pocket, little dimension where he was living out his fantasy and everything was going great, and he took down the whole 
MI-13, and Captain Britain was kicked out of Britain. He couldn't get back in. Everything was going too well for him. Turns out it was a surprise attack. Spitfire was uh, playing a double agent the whole time, and they uh, fight Dracula. Spies' father uh, stays around to help out because he's cursed with vampirism and doesn't want to just be. He doesn't want to go home and have to live with that person and his family. He doesn't want to go through with that, so he's like, I'm going to go out and go to glory. Um, the bargaining that Dracula got from Doom was Captain Britain's wife, whose name on Megan. Megan. Yep, it was spelled different from Megan, which is a million spellings of Megan. M-E-G-G-A-N, if I recall. That sounds right. Might be she had a trading card. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay, well, she had a trading card. So, Dracula has her thinking she'll either be an ally of his or a hostage or something, but, oh, surprise, she turns and fights alongside Captain Britain. They're able to turn his minions against him and free most of them um, who want to be freed, and so he's left with very little and realizes, oh, I can't just, I need to, like, flee from these heroes because uh, they might get rid of all vampires, period. And uh, Dracula is taken out by his help. Caliber and Black Knight, who no longer is uh, has a heart of stone from the previous uh, magical something that kept him from feeling the involved in relationships they hooked up. Peter Wisdom and his date from earlier in the series hooked up. And uh, Blade and Spitfire hooked up. And so everybody, uh, everybody ends up happy. And Fiza's father comes back and they're going to help him uh, adjust to being part vampire and see if they can cure him or whatnot. And uh, all uh, all's good. Uh, except Blade kills Spitfire's son, but she wanted that. He was a vampire too. And he kind of reached her in. How about, how, how about that though? Accident, accidental Valentine's Day issue. Yeah, look at us. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had no idea, like, my exposure to any of these characters is in, you know, weird team-ups where, oh, and Captain Britain's gonna go do something in his part of the world, and that's it. And uh, vaguely knew about the Dark Knight because, spoiler alert, there's a, a stinger at the end of the credits in Marvel movies, like they all are with, uh, Kit Harrington. Black Knight! You said Batman. Did I say Batman? Yeah. You said the Dark Knight. Well, to be fair, Dark Knight, oh. Well, I'm thinking about Batman most of the time, anyways. Oh, so did you, I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, I don't know if you guys uh, at all kept up with any of the uh, Null, like the whole symbiote thing. The King of Black, or King in Black, or something, whatever. No, that's on my bucket list now, because it, it sounded dumb, and then I read some of it, and it was amazing. Um, so I didn't keep up with it, but I need to. Oh, yeah, apparently the Ebony Blade is his. What? Where King it's connected, Black. yeah, to Null. Apparently it's, it has a really strong connection to him. That's why it does like the whole... That's why it vibes to people, because it's not just... It's a little sentient, and by a little sentient, I mean it's a little symbiote. Okay. Well, that's what he picks up from uh, Queen of Wakanda. Storm. Yeah. I I enjoyed this. I had no like idea what to expect, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, what did you all think? Uh, so I've read this before. I've actually read the entire series of Captain Britain and MI13, and I was a little disappointed. Not that it's bad, it's just not quite as good as I want it to be. Like, I know what they're going for with the whole tricking Dracula into thinking that the vampires are all welcome in Britain and they haven't actually been invited and so they just like smash against the like the force field wall like I get what they're going for it's supposed to be like an Ocean's Eleven type twist where you think the heroes have lost but actually they've already won to me it felt a little bit cheap that that was the ending a little bit unearned and it's a shame because there's so much about this that I really like. I like the characters. I, I've mentioned before that I like Captain Britain quite a bit, even though I don't think I wouldn't call myself like uh, like really knowledgeable about Captain Britain. I've read some of the old like Alan Moore comics. He has popped up in Excalibur. I think he's an interesting character with interesting powers and interesting history. Like uh, the whole Marvel, the whole concept of the Marvel multiverse begins with Captain Britain. And hmm. so it's it's really interesting that like he, this world that he's got the the British side of the Marvel universe is crazy and it's fun. I like Excalibur. I like Faiza. I think she's an interesting character. Blade is kind of an odd fit with the team. <laughs> um, he kind of works, but I mean, with all of the emphasis on vampires, he definitely works. So it's like I don't know. I like it. I think it's pretty. I think they do some good stuff with it. It just falls a little bit flat for me at the end. That's 
probably my most significant complaint about it, though. Otherwise, it's like, it's fine. Yeah, I'm also on the same boat as Steven. I think that was also my only complaint is that's the problem when you have magic that doesn't have very, like, well-established rules or you or you don't have the time to really get acquainted with, like, the magician or the sorcerer or whatever you want to call them in their respective profession. So when you have some, at least for me, what feels like a random which character person with the skull show up right you go to her you meet her what feels like the first time to find out about the skull and then like later they do the fake out and like all that stuff it doesn't really feel earned it doesn't feel like i could have seen that coming it doesn't really feel like it was established that that was a possibility so so that's kind of my problem especially especially with magic i think a lot of magic twists if the rules aren't, if it's not like hard kind of magic rules, I guess. I don't want to say that because I feel that that implies a different type of magic. But if your magic doesn't have like pretty well established rules on its uses and, and you know, the systems around it and that type of stuff. I feel like those fake outs just really feel a little deus ex machina-ish. It's funny, like uh, this this talk about like hard magic rules. I read a comment on Twitter the other day. I think it's from Sean, who's a YouTuber who is very leftist, but he has a lot of really interesting historical content. Anyway, he's apparently going to be releasing a video on Harry Potter. And he says something along the lines of, if you replace everybody's wands in Harry Potter with guns, nothing changes. Oh, yeah, no. In fact, yeah. somebody has done that. <laughs> it's the whole first movie. You can download it. I don't know that you necessarily need to go the full Brandon Sanderson hard magic route where everything has very, very strict rules. Um, but I think Aldo's right that you do have to define the limitations of things. And, I mean, they kind of do. Like, the vampire... A vampire has to be invited into your house in order to come in. That is kind of accepted vampire lore. But beyond that, they're like pulling stuff kind of out of nowhere. It's not seated properly. I, if I recall correctly, it's not actually seated properly in the previous story arcs. Plotka is. But otherwise, a lot of this stuff kind of comes out of nowhere. And it's kind of frustrating in that regard. And it's a shame because the story starts off so strong. Mm-hmm. Because if you tell me about a Marvel comic where Doctor Doom and Count Dracula have a secret meeting on the moon, and Doctor Doom is like, nah man, you racist, and he pieces out. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's just the funniest thing to me, that Dracula is too racist for Doctor Doom. So, so yeah, so I think that I was kind it. of my, one of my main complaints about it is, you know, that, that, that thing with the magic, which, kind of thinking to, like, Doctor Strange, right? Because Doctor Strange does that a lot. Doctor Strange can feel... Like a walking deus ex machina when, when the story needs it. Which is part of mm -hmm. why I think I really enjoyed some of the Doctor Strange we've read that has put really good limitations on, on his magic. Specifically, my favorite rule so far has been that thing where it all comes at a price, right? So like he has to like keep regurgitating the, these weird demon things and locking them up in the basement in order to be able to do the things that he does. I thought that was great. I thought that worked out really good. Was it Brother Voodoo or someone was like, hey, you gotta go strangle some some rabbits or something it's like you know, yeah this is awful but you know there's a price also and this is very much personal preference i am not a fan of like classic vampires not anymore so like the whole like they can't come in unless they're invited in or like oh no we have was it was a blade who said that his sword or something had parts of like the holy cross in it that was doom that was doom the, yeah but that's my right. armor has pieces of the true the true cross and it's like Okay. Yeah, all right. weird, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> so that I'm not a fan of classic vampires, not anymore. It's, and I hate, and I hate that this is the easiest point of reference for me to use. I like new age vampires, the kind that you would see in something like Twilight. No, I think those vampires. I'm not gonna say are more interesting, but to me, they feel fresh. Even though clearly they've been around for ten years, as opposed to the last one hundred. Twilight is the best baseball movie. Also, talking about <laughs> Twilight, I, I was not happy that I was Twilighted on this book, where we have this whole thing with Dracula winning, and it's like this really cool setup, and I was I remember like getting to the end of that issue and going like, whoa, they totally just like Empire Strikes Back does. That's amazing. How how how's the squad gonna recover from this? Who what scrappy young MI thirteen agent are they gonna bring in to like reset this? Is somebody gonna travel through time? My imagination was roaring. I was excited, and then the next issue is like, oh yeah, he's just in this little magic chamber, and I was like, what is this? The Twilight book? The Mario Brothers two? No, I'm not a fan. Hey, 
Hey, Mario 2 is a great game. Mario 2 is not even a real Mario game. It's called Mario USA. That's fine. I'll take it. So we're not we're not a Twilight podcast, but honestly, the third and the fourth movie are like okay as themselves. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. It's just somewhat. They're probably and just I'll better. And I'll tell you why. Oh, please. No, I'll tell that. you why. Because they wouldn't allow Stephanie Meyer on set anymore. They were tired of her. They told her no. <laughs> what? What? Can, what was she keeping from happening then? Because the the movies are garbage. Not the last couple of them. The last two were. Are decent movies. I'm not gonna say they're good, John. I'm gonna say they're decent. I just think you're comparing the last two to the first two, and the first two of are course so I bad. Am. It's like, well, this this road apple is slightly fresher than the previous. I, I really don't want to turn this into the Twilight cast, but also <laughs> in like the in the last book, which I think was split up into two movies, they <laughs> Stephanie Meyer does this really dumb thing where she sets up this really amazing fight between like the vampires and the lichens and like all this stuff happening, right? She sets it up, she starts out that they're going to, like, fight each other, and then, bam, right? It's a dream sequence, or it's a prophecy, or some crap like that, right? When the movie did that, they were like, you know what? We're going to give them the fight. And, like, they give you that whole... It's not just a setup. They give you the fight, and it's one of the best fight scenes. And then they reveal that it was a dream. But they at least give you the satisfaction of actually seeing everybody throw down. Yeah, you know we live in a world where Mad Max Fury Road is a thing, right? Like, you don't have to go to... Uh, bad um, teen vampire movies for your actions. I'm just, I'm just saying. I think you're being a little prejudicial on the kickstart of Bobby Bat's career. John is prejudiced. He would get along great with Dracula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Back to that. Also, we keep calling him Dracula, and I know his name is Dracula in here and everything. But I love the fact that they refer to him as, as Tepes, which I find I'm, yeah. I'm fond of that because I also <laughs> watched uh, the Castlevania Netflix show not too long ago, and they also call him Tepes that so i thought that was neat but also Paul cornell sorry sorry one last thing one last thing about dracula <laughs> also i know i know they draw dracula here in a very specific manner but if you've ever seen the the drunk history episode about <laughs> the, the, the real did. person yeah he's portrayed by seth rogan <laughs> so, <laughs> so every time i see dracula in this book my mind just overlays him with Seth Rogen in Bat in in Dracula cosplay, it's great. Um, there is a there is uh after after Dracula and Doom have their little fight on the moon, we go to the Coach and Horses in Soho, London. Every pub in England ha- is named after something to do with horses or something to do with royalty. I'm glad that the naming convention fits. I swear, like we went we went to pubs all the time when I lived there. Like we'd go every day for lunch. And we try to go to a different one. Anyway, that continues. Blade drops a classic uh, Dracula line when he's in the pub. He says, I don't drink beer. And there's a there's a pause, you know, there's an ellipsis. And Dracula, you know, they say, I don't drink wine. And it's like, hey, don't you drink blood? And Blade is like, you know, also kind of a vampire. What is he, a half vampire? Is that the official? So, Paul Cornell, by the way, a British writer. I've read a little bit of his work. I've seen a little bit of his work because he has done some writing for the Doctor Who television show. Some of the earlier episodes, he did Father's Day, apparently. The the episode from, like, the first season of the reboot. He uh, did a series for DC. This is the other one that I remember called Knight and Squire, which was a spinoff of Batman. Knight and Squire were basically the British version of Batman and Robin. And he just created as many, like, very, very British superheroes and supervillains as he could and just, like, crammed them in. So, like, he likes to, I think, write about Britain for American audiences based on this one other comic of his that I've read. Not necessarily a uh, statistically significant sample size, but still, it's like, he likes his home country and he brings a lot of that flavor to the story so it's like yeah of course the the pubs follow the naming convention of london pubs he would know well i like that i liked the um bit of lore about uh who's oh quincy harker as in like mina harker like the um based off of quincy is the son of jonathan and mina harker two of the major characters oh my in gosh, stoker's I didn't put novel that together yeah he was trained as a... This is like his fictional biography. He was trained as a vampire, a vampire hunter by Abraham Van Helsing, becoming his successor. So this is 
the skull of a deceased vampire hunter who apparently gave up his soul to protect Britain. I, I know that name because of the movie The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, that's a real bummer because that's, I think, the first time I heard it because I hadn't read Dracula. Uh, well, I still haven't read Dracula. But I saw the Netflix series. Hmm, I see how it is. You won't read it, but you watch the period adaptation. Just like anime. <laughs> For like three years, we told John to watch Cowboy Bebop, and suddenly there's a live action. He's like, "Ooh, maybe now I'm interested." Oh uh, no, I didn't even watch that either. I fell asleep <laughs> in the first episode, and then it got canceled like later that week, and people were like, "Eh," and I was like, "But, but, okay." <laughs> the sizzle reel got kind of sad about it getting canceled. It wasn't good, but I kind of wanted to see more of it. And that's the thing: it's like it's okay that it's a thing. Make it a good thing, and then it gets to keep being the thing. And then everyone's happy. I don't know. Hey, do you remember that time that Netflix made a good show? Yes. Mm-hmm. The one, one season, season of Stranger, of Stranger Things. Things. I've been okay with all of Stranger Things. Am I wrong? Am I a bad person? I mean, yes and no in that order. <laughs> uh, season one is really good. Season two is fine. Only really works in conjunction with season one. Season three, I didn't love. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. It was just fine. I liked Umbrella Academy both seasons. Oh, the fact that they did not commit to the violin girl's design. No. Instant instant failure. Yeah. I didn't I didn't hate the, the like white suit that they put her in, but Yes, if if you compare like you're gonna be di- I, I look <laughs> you're gonna be disappointed for forever if you're comparing with what we get with what it could have been. So the only solution is, you know, figure out how to do it yourself or never read the source material before the adaptation comes out. Which is why I'm going to... St- I had one requirement. That was it. They failed. You know where else they failed? It was lock and key, man. They Oh, that hurt. Oh, that hurt so much. I think it's kind of interesting that we are, you know, ostensibly here to talk about Captain Britain and MI-13, and we keep not talking about it. Do we have anything else to say about the comic? <laughs> um, I, I thought the art was great. I thought, um, you know, technically all good, like coloring and um, line work and everything. It's a very good book. It is very solid. None of it wowed me, except for the one time it, except for the one moment it did, and then immediately took it back. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like I think on a, it's it's one of those. It's like when your kid gets a B plus, like that's great. You're doing good. That's all we want. But it's not an A. You're not really excelling. You're not wowing anybody. I would like to put a little bit more of a positive spin on it. I think this is a really good deep cut. It's like. I've read all of the mainstream Marvel comics. I've read all the Captain America. I've read all the X-Men. I've read all the Spider-Man. What do you got for me? It's like, well, have you read this story about vampires invading Britain? Like, I would I would frame it as like a deep cut. And I think it's like, in that context, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think the other thing that did wow me a little bit was probably the part with, with when, when we see the actual, the big pirate ship entering, not atmosphere, but actually, yeah, when it's entering atmosphere... And you see all the vampires flying alongside it, and like it's this big menacing moon spaceship thing. That was kind of cool. That was a cool moment. Oh, it is also kind of cool when when uh, Fiza and Black Knight are falling out of the plane, and she's like, "I think we can survive this if I heal us at exactly the moment of impact." <laughs> That's kind of funny. That's all I got. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, should we move on to the other story? Oh gosh, I am gonna have trouble. I think summarizing this one because America Chavez is not a character I know anything about. We read the 2021, I think, miniseries, uh, America Chavez, Made in the USA, written by Kalinda Vasquez. Artist was Carlos Gomez. Colors were by Jesus Albertov. I did not get that name right. And letters by Travis Lanham from Virtual Calligraphy. This story is kind of interesting because it's a retcon, basically. Uh, America Chavez is hanging out on the West Coast with the West Coast Avengers. They're fighting giant mole monsters uh america chavez is hanging out with her girlfriend and suddenly she starts to hear rumors like people are dropping hints she's getting cryptic clues that her adoptive family uh back east in washington heights they're being threatened by something and so she is compelled to leave the west coast leave her girlfriend and she heads back to washington heights to find out what's going on turns out a brief little team up with spider-man because of course there has to be a spider-man team up Turns out all of these threats against her adoptive family are coming from her biological sister. And it's not entirely clear that she, like, 
Like, this history to me is kind of weird. America Chavez, like, the understanding was that she came from another dimension of, like, warrior people. And she was sent to our dimension to kind of help save the day, a la Superman. And this, her sister is kind of revealing that that's not the case. Her mother's... Uh, weren't actually from another dimension. They were scientists. They took her to this island where she was going to get treated for this mysterious illness that she has. And that whole process was going to give her superpowers. It worked. But then her mothers didn't feel good with what was happening on the island. A lot of unethical experiments on children. So her mothers conspired to steal their daughters away and get them off the island. Intercepted. America makes it out, but her sister does not, and she gets kind of stuck behind. And I don't know if she, like, goes crazy or what, but she decides that she's going to continue the program that this evil scientist went for and, like, kidnaps a bunch of girls and so puts America in this really, like, complicated situation where she's like, you have to cooperate with me or these girls are going to die. we got to go to this other dimension and pull our mothers out. And America's sister kidnaps her brother, or I guess her adoptive brother, to try to force her to do all of this. And so finally she fights her off, saves the day. Her powers are weakened as a result. And now she's got this new mission where she's going to go out and find the the rest of these uh, girls who have these uh, superpowers like she does. The Starlings, I think is what they're called? Yeah, I, I guess Starlings because America's powers are like, she can punch star-shaped holes into things including the universe, which allows her to, like, travel. But now her powers are all weakened and stuff. And so, yeah, it's it's a retcon slash depowering arc slash setting up a new status quo. And it's doing a lot of table setting, and none of it really pays off here. It's all kind of set up for future stories. And that's kind of it. What did we think of the story? It, it was unsatisfying. I hate to say it, it kind of was, right? Yeah, it was a little... It was a little underwhelming. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I had high expectations from a character power is to punch literal star-shaped holes in the universe. Like, that sounds really cool. But then to, like, read a whole book about how, like, she can't do that anymore is like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you read Spider-Man, but it was like a five-issue series where he was just constantly cleaning the radiation out of his body and losing his powers. And you're like, oh, well, I guess the real Spider-Man was the friends we made along the way. That doesn't sound that dissimilar to the Clone Saga in some parts. And guess what, Steven? Who likes the Clone Saga? I'm pretty sure Mark Wade likes it. So, it felt like the Black Widow movie plot, and I didn't like the Black Widow movie plot. It did feel like the Black Widow movie plot. Yeah, a little bit. I will say, though, that I really liked... Well, actually, I don't even know any... I don't even know what specific um, cultural background she belongs to i know her family is like what what did they did they say the santanas are dominican dominican that's right yeah not puerto ricans because they made a they made a little jab about puerto ricans i think um which if you've ever talked to one hispanic person <laughs> we all have a, we all have a different country we're not we're not proud of <laughs> everybody yeah everyone like makes fun of whoever's like next door right or yeah exactly. the next closest yeah I mean, here in Utah, we have the same thing. We call it, at least we're not in Arizona. Or Wyoming. Do you know what I... Or the joke I heard is, do you know that all the trees lean east in in Utah? Because Wyoming sucks. (laughs) I hate that I laughed. (laughs) (laughs) But Wyoming didn't do anything to deserve that, except for be eight hours long if you have to drive through it, which sucks. Here's the thing. I've been in both Wyoming and Arizona recently. Yeah. I'd rather be in Wyoming. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I like that we have a, a character who is distinctly, but still vaguely, a, a a Hispanic. And also, that they are really doubling down and, you know, also making her what I presume is to be lesbian, maybe maybe possibly bi. I thought I read somewhere that she was bi. Not according to... I don't recall. Well, I, maybe I need to read this uh, more. She is Marvel's first Latin American LGBTQ character to star in an ongoing series. Excellent. Either, either way, it's a win, I think. I also really like that it didn't feel hammered on. Like, it didn't feel like, look, look at our lesbian. Look at us. Uh, <laughs> it felt like her relationship felt very natural. It felt like it's definitely part of the character. It's definitely part of the story. I really like yeah. that. I, I appreciated that because a lot of time when you have characters who come from minorities, a lot of the times, even though it's well-intentioned, it really can feel like the writers or the company are like, look, Look at our minority. It's front and center. Love us. Yeah. 
We've checked the box. Will you stop protesting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I was actually really in in that sense. I was actually really happy with the character of of America. I really liked kind of her relationship with the family. It felt felt a little real. Um, <laughs> and uh, I really, so I really like that. I really like uh, her relationship. I thought that was really great. Also, really loved her platonic relationship with Kate Bishop. Modern Kate Bishop is a delight when she shows up in books. And this was no yep. exception. Yep. I thought this was an interesting character that was going down a uh, less interesting side plot, you know, exploration of her past. And it's like, oh, this was a this was a you know island off of the Bronx. That's much less interesting than weird parallel universe where she's like, you know, saving the world and doing all these superhero things. It's like, oh, this is right. It was all a lie the whole time. It wasn't. It wasn't the That's lie the that I wanted. That's the biggest disappointment. <laughs> it's like, oh hey Clark, you remember how you you grew up thinking that you were from you know another planet and a super scientist sent you off to save you as the only survivor of this planet? Just kidding. Your dad was an accountant from <laughs> Pittsburgh. Oh man, wouldn't it be really cool if we had this all-encompassing uh, sort of like magical? power that binds us and penetrates us nope it's just cells in your body nope, cells in your body <laughs> that's the most baffling part about this it's like your character is really interesting with really interesting powers and yes the another dimension is a, a bit of a cliche as far as like backgrounds go uh, the very first superhero had this but i'm not sure that you know, science experiment, escape science experiment is any more interesting. And it's certainly, I don't know, the fact that she's from our world does, I don't know. It's just, why would you make your character less interesting? I'm so disappointed by that. I think part of what's disappointing to that, I think specifically for me too, is that the name of the book is called like Made in the USA, right? Which really alludes to her not being from a different dimension but she's also not technically from the usa she's from some weird island off of the coast of somewhere somewhere vague you know the main usa portion doesn't really make that much sense to it so i really would have loved to see and i, and I know i just praised the book for not being so like overtly look at our minority but it could have used a little bit of that it really could have used a little bit of like you know maybe i'm not from another dimension but i am Dominican and I am proud of being like an American and I've had to deal with some racism and I can't just explain that away from being another dimension and I have to deal with that now like that would have been like a neat way to subvert that I guess and I think it would have made the character feel a little bit more I don't know if the, if the point is to ground the character I feel like that would have been a really good way to ground the character as well well although she mentions Cafe Colmoche her first dialogue in this series I don't know what more you want oh my god I love that <laughs> <laughs> Just coffee with milk. It's not. I know. It was like uh, anytime Spanish is used, like any other language, really, it's like, okay, we're going to throw this in. And everyone who doesn't know what's going on, it's going to be so cool. And then really it's like, is this the most basic? Yeah. The little Spanish I speak and the Russian that I speak, anytime I see it, I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad you translated it for me. Or I'm glad that you like decided to really bend over backwards to throw that in the yeah, it's like every time every time you have a Russian character, they always have to mention borscht at some point. Borscht, yo, this tastes as good as my... You know what borscht tastes like? It's onomatopoetic. That's what it tastes like. First you try it, and then borscht you Borscht isn't it. that bad. Borscht is that bad. All right, here. No, no, it no. Now we not. poke the bear. Now we poke the bear, Stephen, because I'm going to tell you what happened a thousand years ago when, when Russia and Ukraine were just Rus. Just the ancient kingdom, even before the Mongols came in and took over, all right? Before before Peter the Great carved his window to the west, conquering his way, fighting the Swedes, getting St. Petersburg, opening up and becoming more European. No, before that. But I've been the terrible... No, way before that. When a bunch of Slavs were sitting around in the steppes and they were like, we need to eat some food. What's this? This is rocks, but they think it might be grain. Let's pray. Ugh, this is disgusting. This is Grechka. Borscht is onomatopoetic, as I said. First you taste it, and then you make that sound. What is this called, Ivan? I don't know, Sergei. Let me try. <laughs> Borscht! Uh, so I really feel like I got something in between, like, Iron Heart and Miss Marvel here, really. This is, like, the halfway point of that journey. Kind of, right? We're just not going to acknowledge that whole rant. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> I listen to the podcast later, I'm like... Boy, I remember I blacked out for a bit. I got really <laughs> mad about Russian food for some reason. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. 
I guess I guess I was just uh, trying to. I was rushing past that part. Boo! Ah! I think the appropriate word here is borsh. According to that rant. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so gross, guys. Yeah, we know. And everyone says, everyone says, no, 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 you have to try it. No, you have to try the way my babushka makes it. No. John, that, because... John, that was not an invitation for round two. Let's <laughs> <laughs> call the callback. Which, ironically, is what John says whenever somebody offers him borscht. No, Steven. Oh, oh, Steven. There's no T in it. There's no T in it. It is just borscht. Oh, but when you transliterate this sh sound, then there's a t. Nope, it's borscht. So anyone tells you that borscht, you can make fun of them and tell them that they're wrong. Because there's no t at the end. You've learned something today, let's move on. So, I want to call the art in this book yummy, but I feel like that's a kind of a, like, gross connotation because there's so many, like, sort of cheesecakey shots. But I really do like this art. So I'm happy you brought that up because I wanted to complain about that. <laughs> Go off, Queen. I know. I'm just. I'm, I was. I was letting. Uh, just letting John breathe. <laughs> yeah. So I really like the art. I think excellent colors. I think really good action as well. And there's some really good poses in there. I think almost any time that America is opening up a portal, we get like a really good pose or at least a really good dynamic angle. But then when we get her reacting to stuff, it really feels really cheesecakey, and it feels like mm-hmm. the art cannot decide if it wants to gaze at her or respect her and it's a little i don't know most people i feels like most people especially like if you're like most people in my demographic is the best way i can say it probably won't care or won't pay that much attention to it but for somebody like me who like really kind of looks at that stuff it is kind of like i just wish you would make up your mind also why does every woman in this series have clothes that that don't breathe with the exception of america's sister like, everybody's sweater and everybody's pants. Everybody wears leggings, pretty much. Sometime I had to, like, check and I was like, I don't, I think they're porky taking it. I don't think they're wearing anything but a shirt right now. And then I was like, no, wait, there's a slight little line above the ankle. Those are just tight, tight leggings. Yeah, exactly. So it's just one of those things where, like, I, I really love everything about the art. I think it's really well done, colorful, dynamic. Uh, I think this is what I want, kind of on a regular basis. I think this is, like, a good you know, expectation for quality art. Not to say that a lot of the stuff we read isn't quality art. I just think this is very, like, we're bringing it back. This is very house style, or what I would want to be house style. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's just that idea of, like, yeah, when she's punching a star-shaped hole, or she's, like, doing the Dominic Toretto garage stomp to create, like, a star on the ground. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing about the street fight. The street always wins. <laughs> anyways every time we get one of those like things it's really cool it's really great right especially because the portals are so like brightly colored and there's supposed to be light that's coming through like we get some really good like colors and shadows like those those panels are really really great i think they excel but then we get her like reacting to somebody and all of a sudden she's like sticking her butt out to the camera and it's like really like okay yeah, it's, it's kind of disappointing, and I think to some extent, the, I don't know, I, I go back and forth on whether I like America's costume, using generous air quotes there or not, because her costume isn't really a costume, it's just she's wearing shorts and a shirt and a jacket, and it's all in red, white, and blue with stars. Like, it's streetwear, and there's a part of me that really likes it, and there's a part of me that really, really, really hates belly shirts, <laughs> and that's, and, but this version of, of the design doesn't really have the belly shirts, and so that's fine. Mm-hmm. But then there's all of the the delicate lighting that is gently illuminating America's butt crack. And it's just, I don't know. It's like, uh, I go back and forth. I think she's got a really good design. I think the art is really good. I love the faces. The faces are so expressive. It reminds me, like, of Takeshi Miyazawa in a lot of ways. Because it's got kind of that same sort of... I mean, Takeshi Miyazawa is very anime, manga-inspired. But it has, you know... Big eyes, very, very expressive features, and it makes it fun to read and fun to look at. But I don't know. I don't I don't love how much they like to show off America's booty. Or her mom's. Or her sister's. Or everybody. It's like, hey, we're going to make this book. Okay. Um, you have a great art style. Yeah, I know. I'm a great artist. Yeah, you are. Paneling is, is excellent. We're going to get great coloring. The lighting is going to be fantastic. I'm excited. 
Can you do one thing for me? Yeah. Everyone's got to be sexy. Oh, but I don't know about that. Won't that be... Nope, nope, nope. Just do it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm in issue three. And it's just like, do, do we really need... But, like, her sister is awkwardly turning towards her. This is on page 21 in the app. She's about to reveal that there are all these starlings still, like, in cryo tubes kind of thing, you know. And the angle is, like, you know, over the shoulder for her sister, but it's like, we see America's butt. We see her sister's butt in such a way that it's like, okay, let's put Hawkeye in this pose. Let's do the test. Is it ridiculous? (laughs) It is ridiculous. And she's got the thigh gap, too. And it's a massive thigh gap. So that was annoying, because at the same time you have to acknowledge, they did a great job with this art, but it's the the way, yeah. the poses they choose, it's very, very gazy. It's, it's just, it's distracting. Because then you have that mixed in with this kind of, you know, awkward subpar story where it's like, this character could have been something more, and maybe they are in other issues, but this, yeah, it was, it was just a I don't, I don't want us to come off, like, too puritanical, right? Because it's like, you want to draw, you know, sexy ladies, do that. And they're not even like, you know, this isn't exploitative. It's not, like, disrespectful. It's just obvious. Yeah. Because, it, it, yeah, like, I, I kind of hate when I go on these rants, right? Because I come across, I feel like the three of us come across as very pur- puritanical, right? Like, oh, no, my sensibilities... Right, we don't want to do that necessarily. But also, like, I mean, listen, I I enjoy any time like Emma Frost or like Psylocke or someone, you know, they show up on 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 page, and I'm just like, all right, let's go. But <laughs> it feels like like those characters own their sexuality, and here it doesn't necessarily feel like one. She's not necessarily like being sexy as part of her character, and that's kind of my problem, right? This is a Gale. I was gonna say it again. This is a male gaze type of issue where we were... A little bit. Yeah. But, I, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to hate on the book. It's just a thing that I noticed and I want to bring it up. Also, talking about something, something I noticed. Uh, and I hate this. And I hate this so much that I, that I noticed it. Uh, so America's girlfriend, Ramon Watts, has a living vibranium suit that covers her from like, uh, you know, head to toe, right? And so when she's out... I didn't know this. I'm actually glad you're going into this because I have no idea. Okay, that's all I know about it, really. That's from a quick Google search. Because I I was wondering if she was part robot or something. No, she's like a living suit. Um, (laughs) What I did notice that I don't like is that when she's out super hearing, like when she shows up, that's all she has, right? Like she has the metal suit and she's punching stuff and she's being really cool. But then like a couple panels later or a couple pages later when America wakes up after being knocked out from the giant moles in L.A. that we didn't really talk about. When she wakes up from that, Ramon is there wearing clothes over her skin tight metal suit. So is the implication that when she's out superheroing, she's naked? Because she obviously feels the need to wear clothes over it in a personal setting. And I don't I don't like that. I don't I don't understand I mean, what the messaging is. <laughs> historically people did fight naked. Nothing to grab onto. Yeah, I guess. I just <laughs> Except for your bits, Steven. <laughs> I, I would I would contend that the least the thing you don't want grabbed onto the most is what was is exposed. It's what is now the easiest thing. <laughs> So that was like a weird thing I noticed, and I don't, I still don't know how I feel about it because then like I forgot about it for like the next you know three issues, and then Ramon shows up again and she's wearing clothes over her metal suit. Yeah, issue five, she's wearing like jean shorts and a jacket over them. Maybe it's like, hey, I'm off duty. This is my casual wear, and I don't want the the glare of the sun to blind you from my vibranium self. But that now that's that is weird, and uh, now I gotta dig into that. I want to point out the bad cover to issue five, where she looks different than she does in the issue, and she's cross-eyed. <laughs> what? Look at the cover to issue five. The <laughs> I hate it. I the color is not bad, but the 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 draw the penciling and the inking is not great, and yeah, so it's totally different. This character is not cross-eyed. So what's going on on the cover here? I don't mean that to be offensive. It's like it it makes it look like they're trying to make a joke or something. I, d- I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Now, uh, she does look like, you know, more of a kid and less of an object. So there's that. The costume works better for me uh, in this version of it, you know, where she's a kid on the roof. You know. So, 
I will say another thing. So we've been talking a lot about like the poses and stuff like this. But I also looked up where she like when America Chavez was going to first introduce to Marvel. Oh boy, that costume does not does not age well. So she she was wearing like a little tube top. Uh, the cleavage was like a hundred percent the character. She feel she feels very much like like a sexy Latina stereotype in in when she first appeared in Vengeance, as opposed to now. So like by that standard, I really like her current look. Yeah, I think all in all, I like the costume design. I just don't like the way it's rendered here. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's you know still recognizably a superhero outfit without being like tights and a cape and a helmet or something, you know. And I like the character a lot. I just, I, it, this, this story is kind of a disappointment. And I, I think I kind of want to say, let's move on from the conversation about her looks. Cause it's starting to feel excessive. Yeah. One thing I did say, I thought that was interesting. And as far as a good plot device for future stories is she's losing her powers because of the edges syndrome. So that, although it's tied up in this kind of retconny, disappointing story, that at least gives you something interesting to do with this par- this character who, you know, reading reading more into her backstory and everything, she can, you know, fly at almost the speed of light. She can, you know, kick these portals into other places. She has superhuman speed and agility and all this stuff. So it's good to have limitations so that it's not, you know, a Superman problem. You know, it's... It, she can have difficulty, you know, because of this, you know, popping up and, you know, her powers may flare out and not work. I do wonder if in other Marvel books or other parts of the Marvel Universe they talk about that Edges disease because if they don't, or if, or even if they do, right, like it doesn't matter. If this is your first book because, you know, it's a mini series, it has a number one, you're hopping into this, I really wish they would explain what the Edges disease was. And maybe they did and I didn't yeah. see it, but like I, it doesn't seem like they not did to me like that. No, I feel like I missed it too. And as you get cured from it, that's when you start to have powers maybe kind of or like the prevention to fight the disease like she was given superpowers in order to fight the disease off but as long as the disease gets then you can overcome that it was not as clear as it could there's already stakes in her losing her power right because she's constantly fighting stuff that's bigger and stronger than like a normal human so granted you know somebody losing their powers that's already i think a good set of stakes to have because that is their life and the people they're protecting but i think defining what the edges disease was and if it's fatal or not i think could have also added to the impact because we don't know if it's if it's fatal then i think it makes her sister seem even more like a bad guy if that makes sense but also if it's if it is like a fatal disease i think it also kind of could paint her in a slightly more sympathetic light and it also increases the stakes of you know her losing her powers it's not just losing her powers the more she loses those powers the closer she gets to death so that's kind of why i wish the edges disease had been a little bit more defined i think okay also i think this book really kind of struggles in defining stuff and i don't i don't need stuff to be constantly spelled out for me right i think a little bit of mystery and a little bit of respect for me as a as an adult or a I guess a teen that can read is appreciated. Was it clear to anybody else kind of why the moms were there? Like, what was their deal? Like, they were scientists, right? And they were trying to help with the uh, edges disease. But, like, what was up with the moms, I guess? I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm missing a lot. I'm, I'm going back trying to see if there's more to them showing up apart from, like, you're doctors, we have a disease, let's get to it. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like like I said, I don't need everything so spelled out to me that I feel like I'm getting talked down to. But it feels like this book really could have been a little bit more fleshed out. It feels like they threw in a lot of elements purposely vague so that another writer could pick them up and maybe roll with it. Once upon a time, there were two brilliant medical researchers looking to solve a problem that threatened to blow up their whole world. Well, what, well, what exactly? Like, How's that any different from any day in the Marvel world? Yeah. You know, and and it doesn't say like how the disease would do that, so that's unclear, right? Um, you know, they were involved with it. I guess I don't know if like America had the disease and they found out what was going on, like at this private island or whatever, or if she developed the disease later because they mentioned like we want to check the place out before we brought her. I yeah, unclear, vague, and either 
trying to leave it open-ended for a future writer to take over or not thought through close up those gaps without revealing everything. Yeah, don't you know have, have to have it spelled out, but it would be nice to have. Yeah, so like I, I don't know. I really have to agree with with Stephen here. I think. Well, I think we've all kind of in agreement that really great character. The story and the book itself really kind of struggles to live up to the character. I guess that's the only other way I can put it. Not recommended as your first introduction to America Chavez, which unfortunately this was mine. I don't. I don't think I've ever read her in anything. No, else. same. I had never heard of her. At least for me, part of why it's extra disappointing is because I was actually really, and I still am excited to read more of the character. I'm probably gonna go back and read maybe was it the first America miniseries because I think there is a, another one before. And obviously, there's her. There's I think current ongoing series also called America. Uh, so, so I want to read those because I am interested in the character. I was kind of interested, like, maybe like a few years back because I remember that first miniseries came out and there's like a cover, or I think it would have been from her ongoing, and there's a cover that's like a close-up of her face as she's getting ready to punch, quote-unquote, like the camera, which is like a really cool cover. It's like not a complex idea, but like it was well executed. And so like the whole idea of like this kind of Hispanic uh you know, lesbian portal punching youth character. Like, that's that's really cool. That feels really fresh. That's kind of, I mean, listen, if I want, if I want, like, classic, I'll keep reading one of the 17 Spider-Man books that are out there. But America, in concept, really felt, or feels like she is, like, a fresh character, even though she has been around the Marvel Universe, like, a little bit longer than I think most people would expect. Especially... I think she was around during some of the Ultimates, like towards the tail end, because I've seen her on some of those covers. So it's like one of those things where she has just been around the Marvel stuff, just but just kind of not a leading character. And so I'd be interested in visiting some of that stuff, right? But yeah, it, mm-hmm. it definitely does feel like Marvel is still figuring out. At least at this, at least with this book, it feels like they're still trying to figure out maybe what her place in the Marvel world is. She's a little bit of growing pains. Not entirely, yeah. yeah, not entirely like dissimilar to like Ironheart, where like Ironheart also really felt like who is she and what is she doing in here and what is her place? How is she unique apart from just well, we have a we have a character with a different background. Check. Moving on. So America's like really tied to the Young Avengers. She's been around longer than that, but that's where she kind of like rose to prominence. She palled around with Kate Bishop there, and so she's kind of been in that sort of orbit for a while. And I think this is an attempt to break her away from that and reestablish her in Washington Heights and and kind of like create her own little mini corner of the Marvel Universe rather than have her hang around with an ensemble. And I just don't think this quite gets us there for all of the reasons we've already talked about. And I don't know that we want to belabor it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think if I was if I was going to give like a final, I guess, note on this book before. I guess we move on or somebody else wants to take over is like, I feel like we have a really good concept. I feel like the character is really strong and I'm, I'm excited for the potential of this character. And maybe this is the kick in the pants I need to read her ongoing series. Like maybe that fixes a lot of the problems I have here, but as it stands, as this book itself stands alone, it's not, not necessarily a great book, but there's definitely a lot of potential in the character. Yeah. We've, we've definitely read worse. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. hundred percent. Should we decide where this goes above that worst stuff? I think we should. I think it's time. Yeah. So currently on our list, we have a stupid number of comics. 181 different stories. Uh, Number one is Ms. Marvel's No Normal, the introduction of Kamala Khan. And then number 181 on our list is a bad story that stinks and is awful. The Evil That Men Do by uh, Kevin Smith. Not great, Mr. Smith. I'm sorry. Uh, So let's start with Vampire State. I'm going to say number two. Let's put it up at number two. Okay. um, Let's let's workshop this a little bit. (laughs) I I liked it. It wasn't anything like extraordinary, but I don't know. It was fun. It was, you know, we're going to outsmart Dracula. I'm in the 70s right now. And these are all, like, a bunch of books that I really like. That's a really good time to invest in IBM. I kind of would read most of these better. <laughs> so mad. <laughs> That's basically like, what's the Superhuman Registration Podcast like? Steven gets mad. 
okay, it's definitely, my floor is stay angry. I think it's better than that. And that's number 84, so it definitely goes higher than that. Yeah, that's our that's I our don't floor. know how much higher. Although, what are you thinking? Four, mm, let's see. <laughs> this one's kind of hard to rank. It is, it is. I have... I'll, I'll suggest a ceiling. Okay. 69. <laughs> nice. Thor's Bat... Oh, right. Thor's Battle World. Because I, <laughs> Thor's Battle World is, is great. And I really enjoy it. And that's our current ranking of that. So somewhere between 69 and 84. Um, but I don't know, I don't know exactly where. What do we think about the new 74? Put it between that X-Men holiday special and the Brian Michael Bendis Moon Knight. Yeah, I like it better than Moon Knight. I don't know. I like it better than the Mary X. Is that the one? That was one of those anthologies. It's like every page is a different story. All right, that one was okay. I keep I keep thinking men call me Magneto when he shows up in a sweater <laughs> and Namor still. No, that was a Vision naked. and Scarlet Witch yeah, story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't believe that's up super high. Actually, no. I kind of think this might be better than that, and it might be better than the Thor and Loki Tenth Realm original Sin type. Yes. Which was better than it had any right to be, but... Children's Crusade is as Speed and Wiccan trying to track down Scarlet Witch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of meh. Oh, I, 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 to me, that's kind of my ceiling. As, I was, as we were going up this list, Children's Crusade is kind of my ceiling for Vampire State. Mostly because I think the art in it is very good. The story... I'm okay with 72. Yeah, the story is comparable in terms of, like, wow... To so me, it, to me it goes above original sin under children's crusade. Yeah. Okay. I, yep. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I think that's a good spot. This expands our like pretty good um, section, which you know I'm glad that I feel like our due diligence should involve some like you know looking through for crappier comics, but I don't want to. <laughs> well, I think this is good placement too because it's like you want a deep cut. I'd probably recommend that Rogue and Gambit series as like a deep cut. I like yeah, I think this is really good placement. 72. So, uh America made in the USA. I okay, unfortunately so my, it has to go lower, right? My yeah, my immediate gut reaction is somewhere around Araña and Ironheart. Yeah, I think it's very comparable to those. Yeah, they all have the same kind of problems. Yeah. Uh, Araña is like 122. 122. This is actually a pretty good starting point. Uh, the Mutant Who Came to Dinner, which is Men Call Me Magneto, that's number 120. Where is um, Ironheart? Oh, that's 102. Ironheart's yeah. significantly higher at 102. Um, I think this falls somewhere in the middle of those. Like, oh man, this part of the list is so weird. Like, I think Election Day is better. I think Mary Jane Homecoming is better. But I think this is better than The Client, which was that Black Panther story. Um, I think this is better than Eternals, and Eternals and The Client are both above Mary Jane Homecoming and Election Day. I think this is better than Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. The art and the paneling and the colors and the lighting, all of that is, like, way up high. But but with a big asterisk of, like, hey, the art's good, but they're using it for evil. So. Hey, you know what other story in this area has really good art but an asterisk next to it? Number 107. Oh, okay, okay. What's the name of the comic, Steven? You know, it's that San Lee Steve Ditko Doctor Strange story. I still, your, fo your phone is letting me down. Well, if my phone is, is cutting out, me saying the title the way that you want me to say it isn't going to make a difference. So I'm going to just suggest... It can't hurt. Because you go real quiet, so the louder you go, hurt. the more we can... It equals out. So I think because this story is more accessible... <laughs> Leaping over the, just <laughs> leaping over it, just using the power of umbrage to just sail clean over it. I think Nova is better, so that's where I want to put it. I want to put it at 104. Yeah, because okay. Nova, Nova doesn't. Nova is not like you know the best, but it's a solid story. It's a solid like you know new take on a character with good art and uh, not really problematic. So well, yeah, this isn't problematic. It just has a couple of art choices we don't like. Yeah, which I which I think we've blown out of proportion a little bit just because just based on how much we've talked. About I think I think it's been it's been so long since we've had a book that's been like this much of that. But I feel like Nova's a like a complete story as far as setting up a status quo. It does a really good job of that, and it's it's that's more complete I think than America Chavez made in the USA. Also, Nova isn't a book about Nova losing his powers for the for the five issues. Yeah. Is that the lock-in final answer? I think that's it. Below Nova? Okay. Yeah, because it's definitely not over... 
It's not over Ironheart, but also, um... It's not that much, like, below it. <sighs> okay, uh, what did we decide to read for next time? I was gonna say we should read in America, Chavez, but maybe around the 4th of July. Uh, uh, you know, her name's America, come on. Um, it's her birthday. Know. Yeah. Go, <laughs> Chavez. <laughs> It's your birthday. We're gonna party like it's your birthday. My big takeaway from the Super Bowl halftime show was, you remember when these men were considered to be dangerous? <laughs> it's the old folks home reunion tour. <laughs> this is a real bummer because I was like, this is kind of fun. I, I remember all the... Oh. Yeah, you remember when like Snoop Dogg used to like shoot up neighborhoods and like sell weed and stuff like that and now he just like hangs out with Martha Stewart a convicted felon still but hangs out with her and like makes like I don't know pumpkin pie recipes we're never gonna end this podcast so for our next episode for reasons that are not entirely clear to those of us who uh, avoid movie trailers and commercials uh, we're gonna read the Superior Iron Man story issues number one through nine I have no idea what the connection is here so that'll be interesting you'll find out in in May it's gonna be May. Are you kidding me? I'm still halfway through Shang-Chi. Okay, you'll find out in May of 2023. There you go. And we're gonna follow up Superior Iron Man with the Chris Claremont Magic miniseries uh, from kind of smack dab in the middle of the uh, 80s X-Men run. Really excited to revisit that. I've read that one before. Is this where she's in Never Limbo? Never Superior Iron Man. Yeah, this is when she's in Limbo. This is the thing. Okay, good. Because like whenever her character comes up, it's always like, hey, remember that time? That time is really good story. It's, uh, well, okay, I shouldn't color expectations because maybe it's, I don't know, secretly as racist as Dracula. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're going to read those for next time. And we'll talk about them and not understand. Yes, John. No, it's not John. Steve's What's up? headphones. You wanna, you wanna hear stuff in stereo? So what I'm what I'm trying. Long story short is uh, when I was in Portland, I became a wino. <laughs> <laughs> what I met uh, uh, Matt Fraction and uh, oh, who's his wife? Is it the comic Kelly Kelly Sue DeConnick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I met them, I was a little toasty. Uh, <laughs> they're they're oh my god! I do not believe you that toasty is slang for drunk. It is. Yeah. No, I don't believe you. No, I say toasted when I talk about how, if, if I am drunk, I, I say I, I was toasted then. Okay, toasted, yes. Yeah. But I thought you said toasty. I did, because I wasn't drunk. No. I was tipsy. I, I feel like you're pulling a fast one on the Mormons. Yeah. We wouldn't know if you were lying to us. <laughs> I'm not. We have to take what? We have to take it at your, at your word and the word of, you know, movies and TV. I, I, have, I have very few reasons to lie to you. <laughs> That's not none. It's never none. Trolling the non-drinkers is That's just like fish in a barrel, man. It's not fair. Welcome to trolling the teetotalers with Aldo Gomez and two schmucks. <laughs>